This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I'm delighted to welcome a real star to the program today, the beautiful and talented actress, singer, and artistic producer, Shalina Kennedy. Today is our holiday show, and we wanted to celebrate Finding Your Bliss with someone who brings so much bliss and sparkle to so many audience members all over the world. The best part is, even though she's a major Broadway star, her heart is still connected to creating new Canadian works and re-examining classics right here at home as the artistic producer and founder of the Eclipse Theatre Company. Shalina Kennedy is known by most people for playing Carol King in the musical Beautiful on Broadway for four years and over 1,200 performances. She also recently originated the Tony Award-winning role of Dina in the first Broadway national tour of The Band's Visit. Shalina's first appearance on Broadway was in 2012 when she played Mary Magdalene in Des McEnough's Jesus Christ Superstar, which also had successful runs at the Stratford Festival and the La Jolla Playhouse. Other U.S. credits include the world premiere of A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, in which she originated the role of Phoebe at Hartford Stage and the Old Globe in San Diego, San Diego and Connecticut Outer Critics nominations. The world premiere of A Sign of the Times as Cindy with the Delaware Theatre Company, Binky in the off-Broadway world premiere of This Ain't No Disco, directed by Darko Tresnajak, choreographed by Camille A. Brown, and she played Sophie in the first U.S. national tour of Mamma Mia. Selected Canadian credits include the title role in Ted Dykstra's Evangeline, Charlottetown Festival, and original recording. The title role in Ross Petty's Pantomime, The Little Mermaid, which won a Toronto Critics Award. Three seasons at the Stratford Festival three Broadway World Awards, including Maria in Gary Griffin's West Side Story, Eva Perone in Evita, Lois Lane in Kiss Me Kate, three seasons at the Shaw Festival, the world premiere of The Lord of the Rings, Mervish, Philia, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Stratford, Toronto, Sicily in The Importance of Being Earnest, at the Neptune Theatre, and the title role in Mary Poppins at Theatre Aquarius. Wow. Shalina is also a singer-songwriter with a debut album, What You Find in a Bottle, which was released in 2015. Shalina's written a new musical, Call It Love, with Eric Holmes, who's known for being a writer for The Good Fight on CBS, featuring music and lyrics by Shalina, book co-written by Eric and Shalina, and music arrangements by Rick Fox. Call It Love has been developed in the New York City area by Eclipse Theatre and had its first Canadian workshop in May 2020. Chalina has worked with Burt Bacharach, guest starred in concerts with the TSO, Colm Wilkinson, and Jason Robert Brown. You can hear Chalina's voice on CBC's Celebrate the Seasons and Carols for a Cure. Chalina is a graduate of Sheridan College and the Birmingham Conservatory for Classical Theatre in Stratford. She is also a mother, animal lover, and a wonderful humanitarian. Chalina, welcome to Finding Your Bless. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Shalina, wherever you go and wherever you work with directors, castmates, producers, critics, and even students alike have the same thing to say about you, which these are the words that come up, words like gifted, star, she shines, dazzling. I've loved everything I've ever seen her in. Des McEnough, the former artistic director at Stratford who directed you in Jesus Christ Superstar, said that Shalina is the most gifted musical theater actress I have come across in many, many years. He said that. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Your star has always shone since you played Anne of Green Gables in high school at age 15. And then later on, when you played Anne in your first professional production, straight out of Sheridan, you weren't even out of college yet when you got cast as Anne at the Charlottetown (laughs) Festival. 
But can you take us back to that first performance in high school at age 15? Mm -hmm. And did you know at that time that this is what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? I think so. Yeah. And I think I knew before that. I mean, the, the, the two things I've always been passionate about were the stage and, um, and animals, you know, and I thought, well, geez, if I can have a career in one and a hobby in the other, it'd be great. <laughs> I didn't know quite how it wow. would fall. But yeah, I've certainly since I was four years old and took my first piano lesson and my first dance lesson, I, I just knew it was for me. That's so fabulous. What was it like? Fast forward to Sheridan in the musical theater program, which I know well, my daughter Lily's in her fourth year there. Uh-huh. And right out of the gate, you hadn't even left yet. And you were the jewel in the crown playing the title role of Anne of Green Gables at the Charlottetown Festival. And at the time, Don Heron called you the finest actress to ever play that part. What was it like playing Anne in that production right out of theater school? Well, that's very kind of him to say. Um, you know, honestly, it was a dream come true. It was a role I've I've always wanted to play. You know, especially in this country, it's kind of you know what what I certainly aspired to uh, since a <laughs> from a young age. Uh, I remember going out to to Charlottetown with my my dad and my best friend and and seeing uh, Tracy Michaelitis play and and just I fell in love with the show with her with you know everything about it. I just thought, oh gosh, if I could ever you know, get a chance to go out there and do that, I would, I would jump at it. So the fact that it was really my first equity gig, you know, was, a, was, was kind of a big deal for me. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. You grew up as an only child mm-hmm. in a military family, and you used your ability to perform as an emotional outlet. What do you think it was about your background living in so many different countries and cities all over the world, sometimes never staying anywhere for more than four years, that prepared you for a life as an actor, giving you the resilience, grace, and grit that you possess? I might have just answered the question, but what, <laughs> what, what, what do you think it was? Was it, was it difficult for you? Was it something that you embraced? Mm-hmm. Well, it was all those things. Yeah. And I think that you, you know, that that was a, a, a great way to, to ask that question. Cause I, you know, I want to touch on all those things if I can. Um, I mean, sometimes I remember, uh, you know, we did two and uh, two moves, um, back to back when we moved to Australia and we lived for a year and a half in uh, a little town called Point Lonsdale, which is right on the beach. And then we moved internally to another place in Australia, the capital city of Canberra for six months. And so I lived, you know, somewhere else for eight months, another place for a year, other places for two years. And so really four years was kind of a long stretch for me. Um, you know, we were always moving. And basically military life couldn't have prepared me any better for the stage career because I mean as you know sometimes we move every three months every six months you know every sort of depends what the gig is and sometimes I'll get lucky with a you know a beautiful or another show that um, lasts a long time and and we'll I'll be able to be in a place for five years so I feel like the, the grit of having to kind of let things go and to meet new friends and to give up old friends and the, you know, the sort of ups and downs that come with that. Um, I think we're really useful. It's hard to, you know, to leave, to leave a show. I think for, you know, anybody who's listening, who understands what it's like to be in the theater that, you know, the, that community becomes sort of like your family or like a second family. And you, you kind of do everything together. I mean, just now, now on paradise square, when we were in Chicago, I mean, we all became so close and especially after a pandemic and we're all sort of bubbled together and we can't really hang out with anybody else because of COVID. And so you become even tighter than you would normally. Um, And it's hard to leave those people. You're with them every day. Um, And then, you know, what's being asked of, of us as well as parents, you know, when you're in the business to, you know, I had to leave my son for three and a half months, which is really, really difficult. I mean, we FaceTimed every day, but that was the longest I've ever been away from him. But, you know, I had to go through that with my my father when I was in the military. He left on peacekeeping missions, sometimes for six months at a time. And that was very, very difficult. So at least nowadays we've got FaceTime and we've got, you know, great phone, cell phone plans. And we can <laughs> do home for two days over Halloween. So, so that was good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's so incredible. I was also so moved, uh, Shalina, when I heard that you were born in Oromocto, New Brunswick, uh-huh. as we had a very dear family family friend who was more like a relative. Her name was Nessie Patrick McDougal Grant, uh-huh. and she was from Scotland, a Scottish name. And uh, they moved to Oromocto, all 17 of her brothers and sisters. And 
I went back to visit her there when she was in her 90s and she was very special to me. So I was so excited to, to hear that you were born there. What was it like? Do you have any memories of Oromocto or were you too, were you too young? I wish I did. I don't have any memories because <laughs> we were only there for a year and a half and then we moved uh, to England. I mean, obviously I've been back to to visit and to see where I used to live, but uh, but that's it. <laughs> what a great place to come from. So you had a wonderful teacher director named Ian Malcolm at Kingston Collegiate who taught you a mantra, make it real, get ready and go, that you still say to yourself before each scene on stage. Can you tell us about that and about Ian Malcolm? Yes. Well, actually, Ian Malcolm um, was my teacher in Kingston uh, when I was in high school. And, you know, he's got a, a similar philosophy uh, philosophy to to, um, to some other teachers I've had. Uh, Greg Peterson was one at Sheridan College who said, you know, um, just be there uh, was his mantra, you know, and it kind of goes with what, what Ian taught me. And it was really just kind of, I mean, we get so wrapped up in different techniques and, uh, you know, all the different sort of ways that we get in or we get out. And really all of those techniques boil down to, are you present? Are you listening? Are you there? That way of looking at it or make it real and go, or just be there. I I mean, it's kind of just like a distilled, boiled down version of what we're all attempting to do all the time. (laughs) So I just, I find it really helpful. Uh, And it's it's just a simple way to kind of get me out of my head and get me into my body. And am I listening? You know, am I paying attention? It's mindfulness, right? It's it's sort of mindfulness in acting and in life. Well, and that's such a beautiful thing to say because that's, that's what we're trying to do. And that's why I feel like meditation and, you know, yoga and mindfulness, you know, deep breathing, what we did before the show, I mean, what I do all the time before all of my shows. I mean, that is, I find that meditation has been the the greatest tool, in fact, um, for, for acting. And uh, that's what I always tell my students. I said, if you can learn how to meditate, if you can learn how to be in the moment, if you can learn how to use body, mind, you know, awareness, if you can drop into your breath, drop into your feet, you know, I've given advice to people who've had to give, you know, stressful speeches, um, you know, or where they've been emotional, they say, how do I get through this? I say, find your feet. I say to myself, you know, go back to your feet, go back to your hands, go back to the center of your breath. I mean, all those things have been very helpful for me. So lovely. My daughter, Lily Liebrach, who actually did showcase in a masterclass with you, said that you are the most kind and generous soul. She loved working with you, as did all the other students. And you helped all the students learn how to take a moment before you perform. Can you tell us about that moment and what that moment is for you? Yes. And I just want to say, sidebar, your daughter's fabulous. Awesome. <laughs> so sweet and talented. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you know, she's she's a joy to work with, my goodness. Um, yeah, finding a moment before you perform is probably the greatest tool I've learned. I mean, I'm somebody who gets quite nervous before auditions and before, you know, first performances or first preview or first or opening or whatever it is. Um, so I find that just taking a moment and reconnecting with myself, with my breath, with, you know, again, just listening, just being aware, being present is really, really helpful. And then you're actually doing the work instead of showing that you're doing the work. You know what I mean? Mm, um, love that. And then, you know, there's, there's other things too, that I find, that I find helpful. Like, um, I read a great article a few years ago about power poses. And this is something that I used before auditions. You know, if I, sometimes if we're nervous before auditions, we can kind of become small and our breath becomes shallow. But I find if I just sit up and I can put my hands on my waist or I can, you know, put my hands behind my head and just take a few deep breaths. Suddenly I'm more confident. My chest is open. I'm able to receive the information that I've been given in a better way. I'm listening better. (laughs) So all those things are really helpful. So cool. A good warrior pose, a good yoga warrior pose. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tree's a good one too. Yeah, all of those. I love those. Yep. That's so great. That's so great. Can you tell us, uh, Shalene, about the wonderful years at the Shaw Festival with Jackie Maxwell and Paul Spertelli? I think that was a really fertile learning period for you. Absolutely. You know what? It, it taught me a few really great things. I mean, first of all, I, I got to work with some in- incredible people, brilliant actors. I got to understudy some brilliant uh, people. I got to go on for some brilliant people. <laughs> um, and then... I think more importantly than the roles I got to play uh, was the company that I was brought into um, 
really helped me kind of establish a we mentality, a company mentality. And what I love about the Canadian system is that we were all kind of brought up on and raised as actors on this, on these festivals, these, these companies. So it's less of a, a star system and more of a, a community. When I was at Shaw, there was still sort of this mentorship, you know, the classes, but also mentorships going on at the same time. And I, I really, really appreciated learning from, from, really everybody there. Jackie gave me some lovely opportunities. But like I said, the the real learning happened with my own, I guess, my humility, you know, in, in allowing uh, myself to really be taught and brought through the paces. You know, some of these mm-hmm. people were just extraordinary. And um, wow. yeah, and, and what I learned just through observing, because I think that's something that I don't think is lost yet, but I think we're losing it is the um, kind of unplugging from the cell phone and spending time in rehearsal, just watching other people because there's Uh a mountain to learn just from being still and silent and opening your eyes and your ears and heart and watching the way that they work. It's so true. That is the best learning sometimes is not doing, but watching. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? Carol (laughs) King talks about that in her books. It's one of the big things that I, I, I took away from her, um, her memoir was, she said, the most important thing that I ever learned was when not to play. She said, everybody, especially when you're in an ensemble or a band, whether it's an acting company or music, it's, I think it's all the same, but to learn when to, when to support, when to just lay back and when it's your time to shine, because everybody always has a time to shine. And sometimes it's yours and sometimes it's not. And then you get the best possible mix and sound. And that's also what I loved about that time period, right? Is everybody in a, in a very humble way, uh, most of the time contributing to the greater sound, right? Like Joni Mitchell, Carol King, um, James Taylor, like they all sang backup and on each other's albums and they played on each other's albums and they were all contributing to this sort of greater movement and sound, you know, and it wasn't really about the solo performance as much as it was about the, about the community. <laughs> so great. Spoken like a wonderful Canadian too. That, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> Then Stratford Festival happened, 2009, where you were really shot like catapulted to stardom playing the leading lady Maria in West Side Story. And you've really worked everywhere from Shaw to Stratford to Charlottetown, Theatre Aquarius. I said even Ross Petty's pantomime. And of course, you made it all the way to Broadway and beyond. And I think one of your most pivotal roles was when you played Mary Magdalene at Stratford in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar, directed by Des McEnough, who was mentioned earlier, said you were really one of the most gifted musical theater actresses that he's come across. What was it like working with Des? And did you know at the beginning of this production that this was going to be the start of a whole new world for you? <laughs> well, I think any any project that Des is uh, associated with, you always sort of hope that it, this is going to be the big one, you know, that <laughs> takes over. In fact, Josh Young and I used to to, to joke. So Josh played um, Judas in that production, and he was nominated for the Tony uh, that year. And he's American. And so, you know, he was one of the only Americans in Stratford. And he had come all the way, you know, he was sort of done. He's like, look, I've tried to get to Broadway for years. I don't think it's going to happen for me. And so I'm going to settle <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> we were laughing. I was like... Trust, you know, trust it being Des in the Stratford Festival that would take you to, you know, to Broadway where you didn't wow. do and then also get him a, a Tony <laughs> nomination. But certainly, yeah, we, you know, we could sort of smell the excitement around the project and around, you know, obviously he had some great people in it. You know, I was thrilled to work with Melissa O'Neill, Paul Nolan, Josh, you know, uh, Brent Carver, uh-huh. uh, and then eventually Brent, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so beautiful to be able to witness him work. Oh, um, goodness. I've seen yeah. him and interviewed him, and uh, and I know exactly what you're saying. He's always I'm haunted yeah. by his eyes, by those beautiful eyes that were just uh, yes. otherworldly, otherworldly yeah. in a way. Yeah, he, oh my gosh, beautiful, beautiful soul, beautiful yeah. person. Anyway, so uh, yeah, obviously, you know, I felt very um, fortunate to be surrounded by those artists. Um, and then, yeah, we got the, you know, I remember the day very clearly when the when our producer came in and said, we're going to Broadway. It was just like the movies, like, really? I can't believe it. And we're all going. I mean, I think norm normally you would expect maybe one or two people to go with the production to New York and for them to recast it with Americans. But um, I think we were fortunate that everybody went, every single person, uh-huh. um, which, you know, was entirely, I, I think, Des is doing. So he was very loyal and very committed to um, to all of us having that opportunity. Wow. Yeah, it was, wow. it was exciting. 
So that was really the beginning. And I think there's Mm -hmm. a moment in every career that just stands out and becomes a bit of an epiphany. And I would think that moment for you was when you were cast as Carol King in the musical Beautiful, which you played on Broadway for four years, also in Mm -hmm. in Toronto at Mervish Productions. We're going to find out one of the greatest turning points in Shalina's career when we come back after this short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with musical theater star, Shalina Kennedy. And she's about to tell us all about getting the audition for Beautiful on Broadway. Can you take us back to that audition and how it all came to be? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's it's a bit of a long story, and I won't give you all the details, but I had been sort of involved in that process for a long time. And it was a series of missed opportunities and unfortunate events that led me to eventually booking it. I was, I was doing, um, oh my goodness, I think my very first audition, I was doing A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder in California. And they flew me out for this reading of Beautiful. Oh my God. <laughs> I remember reading the script and I was crying. I thought, oh gosh, it's so beautiful. And I really connected with the role of Carol and you know what the story was trying to say about her. And I didn't get it. It, it, was, it was between me and the other person and the other person got it. So I thought, okay, well, that's all right. So, you know, next... Uh, however long you know goes by with these things and they they said okay we're not going forward with this other person so we want you to audition again so I did they loved me I couldn't do it because I was doing something else so they wanted me but I was unavailable (laughs) anyway I just kept going like this until finally I was doing Evangeline and Charlatan and I was committed to that you know obviously and I was very excited about that project and they said okay we want you to come down and do the final callback we're skipping we're taking you all the way through to the final callbacks it's you and I think it was me and two other people auditioning <laughs> for Carol King herself and the entire team. Oh my! <laughs> they were gonna, God. The producers going to fly me down, <laughs> and I and I couldn't go. I couldn't go because I was committed to this other project. Uh-huh. And this is part of what is so wonderful and so sometimes heartbreaking about Canadian theater is that we are really very loyal here. And when you yes. start a project and you sign a contract and you say you're going to do something, yes. you got to do it. You don't just break contract for something else. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, that also meant that, you know, who who knows might have what might have happened had I'd gone down and auditioned for that original production. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, Jesse went on to win the Tony and I remember crying on my stoop oh. thinking, oh my gosh, I wish that I wonder if that could have been me. You know, and I but I did what I never do and I kept all of my sides. So all the music and the scenes that I used for the audition, normally I throw them out and I do this sort of meditative cleansing. Over, <laughs> let it go. Your next project will come and it'll be fine. <laughs> so I kept it and I put it away. I hid it in amongst my, you know, the rest of my music. And I just thought, you know, fingers crossed, it'll come up again. And I remember the day that my agent called and said, they want you to come in and replace Jesse. And I said, don't you do this unless they're serious. Please don't <laughs> dangle this in front of my face. Because it's been now, you know, a couple of years that I've been involved with this, pro- this uh, process. So anyway, they, they, you know, I went down, uh, I think I was eight months pregnant and I flew uh, down and I put myself on tape for Carol because everyone had sort of signed off on me, but Carol wanted to make sure that, you know, she was happy with me. So I put myself on tape and uh, and I flew back. I remember going into labor that day because I really probably shouldn't have been flying and oh. <laughs> the stress of it all. And uh, and I remember the next day, I think my agent called in the morning and I sort of my heart was racing and I answered the phone and and I said, hi. And he said, honey, it's not it's not about beautiful. It's about something else. And I went, oh, OK, OK. What's it oh, about? No. <laughs> he goes, I, he goes I, I wonder if you could get me a couple of tickets. And I said, tickets to what? 
And he goes, to your opening night on Broadway, you got the job! <laughs> oh my gosh, that is I just started crying. I couldn't believe it. You know, I just couldn't believe it. I, it, 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 I just thought, oh, well, you know, some things are just meant to kind of come back to us. And, and I thought, well, you know, the timing didn't work out at the beginning, but then it, it did in the end. And I was, I was so, so grateful. I got to do the Kennedy Center Honors, and I got to sing with Aretha Franklin and Carol oh. and James Taylor and all these people. And I mean, the a- amount of opportunities that, that came my way because of her, because of Carol and because of that beautiful show. I mean, some of the best times of my life, you know, I got to meet. Oh my gosh, I got to meet uh, Paul McCartney. I mean, I just the oh. amount of the, be on the Today Show, sing with Carol King. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I remember when I signed my contract, I thought if I get to meet Carol, that'll be, you know, a dream come true. I, mean, oh. I, I just got to do that and so much more. I was so lucky. Oh, so wonderful. Well, I saw you in that in that performance. I saw you in one of those four years and was blown <laughs> away, like beyond. And you got an email from Carol King. You didn't even believe it at one point, and then. She said she was coming in April, but you didn't want to know what date, which is probably very smart. Yeah. And she came. Yes. In disguise. Yes, in disguise, in a wig (laughs) and glasses. And what happened when she came backstage to see you out? You had quite a connection with her. I did. Yes. Um, and it, yeah, it's funny because I did have that email in my inbox from Carol Dash and I thought, oh, I don't have any friends named Carol. Oh my God, it's Carol King. You know? <laughs> and then we had a joke running in the company because every time there was any commotion in the audience, if there's, you know, if there's a celebrity out there or something, everybody's like, it's Carol, she's here. It's tonight's the night. And I'm going to have a heart attack. So yeah, we, you know, the producers called us into the green room and, and I thought, oh my gosh, is this the moment? They came in to say what a great job we were doing. And they said, you know, we've got somebody special to introduce you to. It's my, you know, my grandmother, I think somebody said. And in walks this little woman with a black bob and glasses. And then she goes, surprise, it's me. (laughs) But, you know, at first she addressed the whole group and there were quite a a lot of us there. And she she didn't make eye contact with, with me at first. And I thought, oh no, she didn't like what I did. Or she, you know, she didn't approve of my take on it or something. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And then once she was done addressing the group, she locked eyes with me and then she started to cry and she walked forward and she put her arms around me. Oh my God, I'm going to cry just talking about it. And we, I think we held each other for about two minutes and she just sobbed into my shoulder and we, I don't think I'd ever realized how vulnerable it was for her to have her story on stage. And, you know, I was only the second person to, to play that role after Jesse. And I'm sure, you know, and Jesse did such a beautiful job. I'm sure everybody was a little nervous about, well, you know, who's this girl and what's she going to do with it? And I, and I think, you know, she was pleased and, and I was just so grateful that she was happy with what I did and that she felt that I represented her to the best of my ability. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? She was and, so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can't even imagine what the preparation for this role might have been because, and how intense it might have been, because you've said you're not doing an SNL impersonation. You're creating mm-hmm. a character who we all know, Carol King, who's, you know, iconic. And you wanted her to be recognizable, but you also wanted an, you know, an honest likeness, but you wanted it to be you. What mm-hmm. was involved in your research to step into the shoes of Carol King and how did you immerse yourself into becoming that character? I watched everything I could possibly watch. And there's there's not a lot out there because she's she's quite a shy lady. I don't think a lot of people know that. So finding interviews, you know, it's a little it's a little difficult because um, she, you know, she's quite a homebody. She liked to be at home with her kids and she liked to write music and she wasn't really kind of a, a spotlighty kind of lady. I watched, you know, as many documentaries as I could find, as many interviews as I could find, performances. She's really got her own style. And so, you know, watching her body language and the way that she, um, you know, her inflection is very particular. Uh, and I worked with a vocal coach and a, a dialect coach because she's got, uh, a, you know, not not a very strong Brooklyn accent, but it's there. You can mm. kind of hear it in certain words. Um, and then when she came to see the show, she took me through this. Um, she's got a very particular way of playing the piano. So we sat together after she saw the show. And first of all, she told stories. Oh, my gosh. Her stories about Jerry and her writing together. Hilarious. Because oh. I guess he was. she describes him as tone deaf. <laughs> she's like, he couldn't <laughs> sing at all. <laughs> and he had this very, very strong <laughs> Brooklyn accent. So she, you know, she said when they were... Um, when they were doing uh, up on the roof, it was hilarious because she, I guess, apparently he came into her 
you know, or into their writing studio or whatever. And he was like, it goes like this, you know, when this old world starts getting me down. And then she would be like, like she could hear what he was trying to do. And then the two really lived together. But the way that she, she talked about it was so much love and humor Aww. and, you know, sweetness. And they continued working together after they got divorced. And I just, I love that. I love their, I mean, I met both of their kids and, you know, her grandson, uh, was playing in the band. He played uh, guitar. And so I feel like I just got to know some of the family, you know, and they're all so close and so generous and they're kind of everything you want them to be and more. They're just that uh, um, grounded and, and cool and generous. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and then she taught me how to, how, her style of playing piano. So it was really interesting to, first of all, hear the stories through her sense of humor and her lens uh, and hear her talk about those people and then also get to see her style up close. What a gift. What a gift. And and everyone, our listeners are in for a real gift right now because Shalina Kennedy is going to be singing for you right now. Uh, you've got a friend. Do you want to set up this track for everyone? <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, you know, I think everyone knows the song and um, this is, yeah, this is sort of me at home just singing it with the track that uh, that our, our wonderful um, uh, Tony and uh, my goodness, God, he's, you know, multi award winning musical director Jason Howland sent me. So I'm singing along to that. Awesome. <laughs> Let's have a listen to You've Got a Friend by Shalina Kennedy. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow. That was so gorgeous. Oh, my God. So gorgeous. I can hear that over and over. You've been called as close to a superstar as it gets in this country. And you've played so many leading ladies, like the best roles ever. Like I was just reading your resume and just going, wow, the, the, really like drool worthy. And even the most iconic character, Mary Poppins at Theater Aquarius in 2014. And, and I think that part must have been so wonderful for you because you were brought up with discipline and love. What a perfect combination to understand the character of Mary Poppins. What was it like doing that show? It was incredible. My goodness. It was actually my first show back after giving birth. I think I went into rehearsals six or it was six or seven weeks, maybe seven weeks after uh, giving birth to my son. Uh, uh. <laughs> it was lovely. I mean, I was, you know, I was nursing him backstage and uh, it was, uh, you know, some wonderful friends in the show and um, a fabulous role. In fact, you know, he's got a very soft place for Mary Poppins in his heart, I think because of my, you know, our connection to it. And I've got pictures of him uh. as a little baby backstage. And, um, yeah, it was sweet. And she's, a, she's just a great role. Oh, so wonderful. What yeah. do you love most about being a musical theater performer? What do you love about this work? Well, I think, you know, it goes back to, I remember having to make a decision when I was in high school, I was going to either be an opera singer or go into, um, uh, you know, musical theater. And I thought, well, I've been dancing my whole life and I've just discovered acting a few years ago. And, I've always wanted to sing and I, I'm not quite sure that I'm ready to give any of them up. And I think that's the answer is that you're, one is able to access so many parts of themselves to be in this business. You know, it's, it's really beautiful. I, I love when I have the opportunity to do a play or to do, um, you know, a, just an entirely sung concert. I mean, they're all, it's, they're both so different um or you know back when i was a dancer just being in a dance piece or being a dancer in the ensemble i mean i loved those <laughs> those gigs oh fun um yeah and there's no other opportunity to do that only musical theater can give you that it's so true you play every instrument you sing you dance as you just mentioned and now you even direct and produce you immerse yourself really in every aspect of the theater and now your latest brainchild is as the artistic producer of toronto's eclipse theater company which you launched in 2018 can you tell us about your vision for the theater company 
Well, one of my biggest uh, goals in life and my biggest passions is uh, Canadian theatre. And I think it's important to, you know, take what we learn when we're away and come back and infuse, you know, our own community with that. And I think that's what so many people in the business do and in in our Canadian community. And so I... I um I get very excited about new Canadian work and about Canadian artists and all of these incredible people coming out of these wonderful schools, you know, Sheridan included. And I uh yeah, I just want to contribute to the uh to the theater ecology in this country and I think that was the best way that I knew how to do it. <laughs> so fabulous. Well, I was there. I was blown away by your Eclipse Theatre Company production of Sunday in the Park with George, which happened right before COVID began. I was just talking about this with Charlotte Moore, who was just on the show, and she was in that oh. production. So lovely. And what was it like for you to be on the other side teaching young artists and creating theatre? And even in that production, there were Sheridan, Sheridan students in the production what do you love about being on the other side? Because I know you are still very much a musical theater performer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, a superstar in this country, but you got to play that other hat. What was cool yeah, about you that? Know- uh, I learned so much. I, you know, I've learned a lot being a, a producer, you know, and obviously surrounding myself with people who really are fantastic at it and learning from them. Um, and, I, you know, and I think it's really about, look, the world is full of people who, you know, talk about doing things and then who talk about them and then do them. And so I thought, well, I really want to be one of those people who, you know, I want to put my money where my mouth is. And I want to, I want to be able to create opportunities uh, for Canadians and for music, you know, people in, in who are writing or performers or whatever in this country. I just want to create as much opportunity as possible. And so it was exciting to be able to, um, I love to be able to say, look, this is our goal and I'm going to raise this money and we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to produce this. And it was exciting. So really artistically, I didn't have very much to do with the show at all. I mean, other than talking to some people and making sure everything was sort of lined up, I was more the nuts and bolts, uh, kind of the business money end of it, which is exciting to say, because I never really saw myself doing that before. You know, it was never really (laughs) one of my strong suits, but uh, I think that given enough, um, uh, oh, I don't know, I guess given enough drive and ambition and will, we can do anything. And so I thought, well, I can, I can probably tackle this if I, if I have the right mentorship around me. <laughs> so fabulous. You're actually in a new show right now. Congratulations. In your latest production, you play Annie in Paradise Square and you sing with an Irish accent very well. I, I was marveling at that. Can you tell <laughs> us what that was like? Uh, for, for, and did you use a dialect coach? How did you get that Irish accent so down or was it just in your DNA? Thank you. Well, I mean, my, my father's side is Irish. And so I guess it must be part of my DNA somewhere. I mean, it's uh, obviously it is. Uh, and it's, you know, I, Irish is very, uh, it's a close cousin to East Coast Canadian. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that PEI Newfoundland, <laughs> uh, those accents are, you know, they sit in that Irish world. And so it, I guess the, the music of it, the sound of it was not terribly difficult. And we had a coach uh, for, for a little bit, but for the most part, I kind of did my own research and my own, um, you know, I had my own kind of coaches that I found online and like these sort of little classes that I could take. And so, uh, and I started watching a show called Normal People on Hulu, <laughs> which is based in Sligo, where, which is where I'm from or my uh, character's from. Uh, and uh, so like just listening to them talk to each other day after day after day, it's just nice to have something. There's another podcast that I started listening to where it's a brother and sister who are from Sligo who are talking to each other. And so just to hear the rhythm and the music of it daily was helpful. But yeah, so she's fun. And she's a, she's a, firecracker Annie oh. O'Brien she's really something else and it was really good to get into her <laughs> we're about to hear a gorgeous song that you sing in that show but can you tell us just briefly because I know it's Broadway bound I think it's coming mm-hmm. up in February to Broadway can you tell us about Paradise Square Yes. So it's about um, basically about the five points uh, in New York City. So it's uh, it's really about the draft riots, uh, the 1860s uh, and about Nellie O'Brien, who is this bar owner. And it's about our family. So she and I are sisters in law. So she's married to my brother and uh, and I'm married to a black reverend. And it's really about the, you know, the mixing and inter um, marriage of, you know, the the free black community and the Irish immigrant community. And then what happens uh, when Lincoln's draft uh, 
becomes announced and what happens to to the people in that community and how it tears the community apart in certain ways. But uh, Nellie and I are sort of the two main forces at the bar that end up sticking it through together. So it's you know we have a lovely connection, a lovely sisterly bond, and that's kind of what uh-huh. the song is about. It's about us sticking it through together. That's so wonderful. Well, I'm so excited for our listeners to hear Someone to Love from the upcoming Broadway production, Paradise Square. And here is Shalina Kennedy singing her role, Annie, and Joaquina Calucango playing Nellie O'Brien. I won't begin to pretend that I know what you're feeling, what you're going through. lost so much in this beautiful world and the world keeps on taking from you but if I might don't lose the fight don't go and curse God above I can't wait to see it. I can't wait. It's a great song. It's beautiful. Jason Howland is a genius. He's such a beautiful composer. And I just think the world is, I hope the world is ready for his incredible light because it's bright and gorgeous. And you were meant to sing that song. That song was made for you. It's just so gorgeous. So beautiful. Thank you. Paradise Square. Everyone stay tuned for that production coming to Broadway in February, 2022. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Shalina Kennedy when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with musical theater star, Shalina Kennedy. You were also part of Stratford's Up Close and Musical, and I, I loved that. I remember seeing Cynthia Dale at the time doing hers and seeing you, and it was sort of like a new lease on life to see actors back on stage doing it. But you had mentioned at the time that this was, you sang from the song Prisoner from the musical that you co-wrote called call it love. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how that experience was terrifying, that you've always been terrified to share your original material. And here you were in a pandemic, which is already terrifying and (laughs) singing something that is so close and personal. And it was gorgeous. What was it like performing again and singing your own song, call it love in that beautiful performance? Well, I thank you very much. I, you know, I think (laughs) singing, uh, was incredible and but then singing live on the festival stage was uh i think it was more overwhelming um than i was i was prepared for i'm like walking out into the stage and sort of remembering you know oh right this is what this is you know we're and how we're all kind of we were born to do this and we've been doing this for however many years and suddenly it all just stopped and then to be back at it again i think I don't think I'd ever appreciated a moment as much as I, as I had then, or as I did then. Um, yeah. And then singing that song, I mean, I was grateful that they, that they were open to it, that they wanted me to share my material uh, that night. Cause I mean, there were a lot of songs I could have, I could have done. And, and it was, it was really nice to be able to share that song. And you know, like I, I think you mentioned before, Rick Fox was the arranger and we've been working together for years and he was, you know, he played on my album. He's a producer on my album. And so, um, you know, he was the, the head of the music department at Stratford when I was there. So it was kind of nice to have, kind of come full circle with him as well. <laughs> what do you think drives you so relentlessly in the pursuit of success? You seem to have so much determination and strength. And I know it's part of your background and we've talked about this, but uh, your passion and your drive to keep going, it's not an easy business. It's definitely not an easy business. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I I read something the other day. I think it's probably a very famous quote. I just can't remember it exactly. But it's something about usually, you know, the the biggest regrets in life or the only regrets in life have to do with um, having not given the time or the space to artistic pursuits. You know, if you have them, um, Mm -hmm. you're either too busy or you just don't care enough to do that. So I thought, well, I've got a huge amount of desire to express myself artistically and to, to witness other people express themselves freely and beautifully in mm-hmm. their artistic way. And, uh, and so I guess, you know, it's, it's the best way that I know how to um, become the best version of myself, the fullest version of myself, and to also communicate the things that I think are important. Um, whether I'm writing them or performing other people's words and music, you know, it's the way that we change hearts and minds. And I think in a world where we need a lot of that right now, um, I think it's a great, you know, effective and profound way to, um, to affect people. We're so blessed to have you doing this for us in the world. I have to say that. Your other passion is that you're an animal lover and you rescue animals. And we have a beautiful picture of you in a blue dress next to two gorgeous black dogs. Can you tell us about them and about your love of animals? Oh, I've loved animals since I was a kid. I remember, I remember actually, I'll tell a really, really quick story, but volunteering at the uh, SVCA in Charlottetown when I was playing Anne, I remember oh. this is one of the most humble moments I've ever had because I used to go there and volunteer every week and uh, just, you know, spend time with the dogs, take them out for walks and stuff. And I remember I had, I had a big picture of, you know, myself as Anne in the newspaper, you know, it was, there was sort of everywhere. And I remember walking in one morning and I was, you know, changing um, one of these dogs, cages and I look in and of course there's my picture on the bottom of this animal's cage and I thought this is it what really matters is not the picture in the paper but the fact that 
this dog needs my help. And this Aww. is probably, a, I'm, I'm probably more valued in this role than I am in my Aww. one on stage. <laughs> so we're taking like a real, it was a real, you know, a humbling moment for me because I, I just, uh, I saw how important that work was um, and, and how I needed to continue doing that. And there have been years where I've been, you know, sort of disappointed with myself that I haven't done more. Um, but I always try to come to come back to it. Uh, and I, I have rescued, uh, uh, you know, some animals in my time. Um, Dolly, my little dog, was a, a, a shelter dog. She was fantastic. And she passed away before the pandemic. And oh. then Molly was my my girl. She was almost 16. And she oh. died during the pandemic. Oh. And, you know, I, I'd known her since she was five weeks old. No, but it was also, that's a beautiful thing about life. I mean, every we all, we all die. It's a circle of life. And, you know, it's natural. And it's heartbreaking. And it's also, she was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So oh. I'm very grateful for her. <laughs> Well, we are very grateful for you. Chalina, what is, uh, there's so much going on in your career. What's next for you and what's coming up? Yes. Uh, well, the next thing is I've got a break, which is lovely. And uh, and I'm going to start rehearsals uh, in New York, I think on January 17th, somewhere, sometime around there. And I'm very, very excited to for the world to see Paradise Square. I think it's got a really important message. And, uh, and I think it's I, I hope it's just what people are wanting and needing in the moment. I think it's the parallels, you know, the story uh, could not be more timely and uh, a real message of hope and love and strong community. What's bliss for Shalina Kennedy? Goodness. Uh, Any time at all with my son. Oh. Uh, taking a walk outside. Anytime I get to be in quiet nature. Anytime I get to be home, get to be with my friends and my family. That's always bliss for me. Well, as I said, this has been blissful for us to have you here with us uh, on this Christmas show. And so thank you. It's been a real honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me and happy holidays. Happy holidays. What is the best way for people to contact you, Shalina, and connect with you on social media? Oh, mm. at Shalina Kennedy, Instagram, or um, I do have a Facebook mm. page. Uh, I'm not really on Twitter very much, but I guess Instagram would be the best way. Awesome. Thanks again to the beautiful and lovely and talented Shalina Kennedy for being on the show today. It's been such an honor to have you on our Christmas holiday show. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the program. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or anyone who has found and is following your bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. All you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I want to thank everyone who is part of the show today. A big thank you to Shalina Kennedy. And thank you to Mary Luza Holland for helping to make this episode possible. Thank you to Mag Ruffman, producer Siobhan Kiley, senior editor Haley Allegia, editorial assistant Lauren Kaminsky, wonderful intern Shelley Koskinen, and audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. This has been a wonderful year on this show with all of its ups and downs and twists and turns, but we're grateful for the wonderful teamwork here at Finding Your Bliss and at Zoomer Radio, and we're grateful for all of you for listening and being part of this program. We want to wish you all very happy holidays and a happy, healthy, and blissful new year. Can't wait to see you all back in 2022 when we'll have all kinds of new, inspirational, and uplifting programming to help you kick off the new year with a bang. Wishing you love and peace and a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to stay safe and healthy and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.